Hi, it's Guy here. Welcome to uh, another episode of Creative Forces and welcome to a very cold, wintry and snowy Manchester as well. Uh, it was the big dump of snow yesterday which has stuck around, uh, which brought everything to a bit of a standstill yesterday, but everything's <laughs> calmed down a bit now, but the snow is still around, so it's quite a lovely wintry scene. Fortunately, the roads uh, were clear enough today though for me to nip across Manchester from where I am in South Manchester, a bit east towards Hyde, uh, to meet up with Tony Husband. Now, if you've picked up a newspaper or a magazine over the last 30 or 40 years, chances are you'll have seen uh, Tony Husband's brilliant and funny cartoons. They're familiar to millions of people in the UK and beyond. That's because they've been in all sorts of publications like Private Eye, The Times, all the national newspapers pretty much at one stage or another. Also Punch, uh, Playboy, many others over the last four decades. In that time and over his career, he's won all sorts of awards. And Yobbs, his uh, strip in Private Eye is one of the best known and longest running comic strips uh, ever in the UK. He's not just done cartoons as well. He's uh, used his work to create several books, uh, including a couple that are very personal, one about his father's dementia, another on his son's drug use. Um, he also co-created uh, Oink, uh, magazine, uh, comic in the 80s that was for kids, which was, I remember from uh, my childhood. Also Round the Bend, uh, a kids TV show, which I remember really well as well. And uh, yeah, so he's done all sorts in an amazing career. Um, now we didn't have time to talk about some things that would have loved to have talked about, like his work with the poet Ian Macmillan and also the book that he wrote with his son. Um, but we did talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, and it was a, I love talking to Tony. He also made me a, a really lovely cup of coffee, which I was very grateful for. Um, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. He, he talks about, uh, in detail about how he loved drawing as a kid and loved English as well. And it was how he did came to the conclusion um, when he was still pretty young that it was cartoons where his future lay and he just knew that was what he was going to do. Really interesting about how that came about. Also, he talks about how he dealt with um, uh, all the rejection that he faced when he was submitting his work early on in his career, how he kept going, how he overcame uh, the doubts that those rejections brought. He's also got some great stories to tell as well, uh, which you'll hear and uh, which I think you'll enjoy, including why he's been called in the past the Keith Richards of cartooning. Well, I feel like I've got to ask you first about your... You just told me you've got a, a new tortoise. Yeah, Steve. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> why, um, why is he... Well, okay, so why have you got a tortoise? And why is he called well, Steve? Well, I've, I've, I've got... Um, I've done lots of Toy Toys cartoons. I used to have Toy Toys um, about 30 years ago. I had two, they called Sid and Nancy. Right. And so but I've drawn a lot of cartoons for Private Eye about Toy Toys. And there was going to be a book, Toy Toys, Tony Husband's 101 Toy Toys cartoons. That could still happen. Right. So anyway, this Christmas, um, <coughs> I'm upstairs, and my son Paul and Sarah, his wife, and... My granddaughter's Daisy and Phoebe come round, and they say, stay up there, we just want to sort something out. So we're just sorting out your Christmas present. So then they said, right, you can come down now. And they said, meet Steve. And I said, who's Steve? <laughs> and this tortoise crosses the room. They said, it's them, it's Phoebe. 
right. the granddaughter Phoebe's na- named him, which I thought was fabulous now. Okay. So Steve is is a great little tortoise. Is, um, yeah, how's he doing? He's doing well. He might be a she. Oh, right. That's the problem. Phoebe's done some research. Okay. And it might, but I'm going to keep the name Steve. I could call her Stevie. Yeah. So we're a bit undecided as boy or girl, but it's okay. a tortoise, definitely. And is Stevie settling in with, you've got a couple of other pets I've already I've seen the on the cat. way around. Um, What's yeah, the cat called? Lily. Lily. Uh, is, is she named after Lily in particular? Or? No, we, no we, most of our animals are called after rock thing people. Okay. Like. Yeah. Uh, we had a border collie called Sheena. Because Sheena is a punk rocker. Right. We had a cat called Pixie after the Pixies. Right. So, but Lily was named again after, after, by Phoebe. So Phoebe tends to choose different names. Okay. If it, I'd call it, it would have been probably, you know, Kim from the Breeders or something. I'd probably call her Kim or somebody, you know. Yeah. So, but Steve, Steve is again named when we got here, so I didn't change him. And I just, we've seen Sevi, your dog, has been helping out as we set Sevy, up the equipment. Sevi um, is a lab retriever, he's a gorgeous yeah. rescue dog. You know, he's a gentle soul, he just really is a genuinely, he's a peaceful dog. Yeah. He's not, he's not the leader of the pack, that's for sure. And his name... He's called after Sevi Ballesteros, yeah. the golfer, who's a big, I was going to say a big fan of mine, but uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big hero of his, and... Um, I did meet Sevi because he used to play golf at Pedrenia yeah. and stay there. They had apartments on the golf course. This is near Santander in Spain. Mm. And I would see Sevi on the golf course. So one year I thought, I'm going to do him a cartoon because I love Sevi. Mm. And I did him this cartoon and got it framed. Went to make ankle the manager. said, I've got a cartoon for Sevi. Can I leave it with you? And he said, oh, Sevi's around. He'll, I'll introduce you. Yeah. Then next day ankle came in the car and said, Sevi's on the putting green. So I went over, met him, he's lovely, and gave him the cartoon. He said, oh, this will great. He just had a big house built on the hill overlooking Santander and the golf course. Yeah. And he, um, so that's fine. I gave him the cartoon. Next day, I'm on the putting green practising. And Sevy pulls up in his trolley. He said, my wife loves the cartoon. It's up in our bed, up in the kitchen. And we've shown some friends. And this is for you. And he took out a golf club from his bag. It was a wedge, and he just said, this helped me win the Portuguese Open. Wow. And I went, oh, blimey, and I stood there <laughs> on the green, nobody else around, and he just says, thank you very much, and went. And I'm thinking, God, this doesn't, you know, if Keith Richards gave him his guitar, it would be the same feeling, yeah. you know, like, wow. Have you ever used it, or does it, sit, I did it, does it I, take pride I, of place? It's, it's framed outside here um, right. in the hallway. I did chip with it a couple of times because I loved chipping and I thought yeah. some of Sevi's magic would rub up but I was, I was kind of scared of breaking it which did is you, silly did you shank it or did you actually no no, no don't mention that word I'd, I'd not played golf but um, <laughs> I did have that sometimes but my short game was very good okay um, because I had another dog called Sheena who's you know passed away as dogs do hmm. Sheena was named after Sheena was a punk rocker by the Ramones and I used to chip the ball down the garden. Sheena would run down the garden and get it and bring it back and drop it on the mat. Nice. So I had a little flag. So I used to practice and Sheena was like my sort of coach and helped my short game. I had one of the best short games at the club, hmm. which I was kind of known for, which is, I loved that. So, hmm. yeah, but I'm not playing golf for a long time now. But um, How come? I just got really busy and then you get out of the habit and it takes so long to go around and you've got, your mind's on the work and stuff because mm. I'm really busy at the moment so um, and then you 
make excuses not to go up because you got to, yeah. you know, if you're in your jeans and the t-shirt, you got to change to play golf. Yeah. And you start making excuses then, and then, but the genius is still there, I'm sure. <laughs> just waiting to <laughs> just waiting to, to be, be uncorked, um, re- yeah, rekindled yeah. and. Yeah. Um, the so phoenix. you're busy in a good way though. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. Good. I mean, a lot of it is dementia work. Um, it's dementia-based cartoons. Yeah. yeah. Um, because of a book I did called yeah. Take Care Son, which has touched many people. I mean, th- that was based on my dad's dementia. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't know if people know the story, but I was my dad had passed away. He hmm. passed away, and I was in my studio one night after a hard day's deadlines. And I thought, thinking about him, and I'd not really grieved, I'd not really processed what happened, because you don't when you're in the middle of something. And I just sort of said him, I'd got a bottle of Rioja, that, that was the other thing. There's, so there's me and this bottle of Rioja in my yep. studio. Yeah. And I just said, just started thinking about my dad and what it was like, and I just said, Dad, what was it like to have dementia, do you remember? And his voice came and said, what, well, I had dementia, and you're just me to remember. Hmm. And we got on this conversation, and whether it was the wine or the imagination of my dad. And I started to draw, as I do, I started to draw the conversation. Mm. And there was three A4 pages. Um, there's one where my dad sat there with his dog, Lossie, a little Westie, and I said, Dad, do you remember what it was like to have dementia? And he says, what, I had dementia? And he's, he still laughs, and the dog mm. wags his tail. <laughs> and then, so I did three pages. Then some of the incidents in the middle page, the second page, like when he went into hide in his pyjama bottoms and, you know, where he leave the tap running. And then the other, the last page was him sadly saying, can you imagine what it's like to lose memory of everything and everyone you've ever loved? Mm. Can anything be so cruel? And I said, no, Dad, I don't think it can. Mm. And I had these three pages and I didn't know what to do. I showed one or two people. I got a member of the Groucho Club in London and been a member 30 years. And I'd go there and show people and they say, this could be so important. Mm. And then I was talking to Stephen Fry, Stephen's a friend, mm. and I said, can I send you these um, images and see what you think? Because I know he's involved with mind and, you know, he's had problems himself. And yep. he said, yeah, of course you can, because he, he's, he likes, loves my work. He then rang me and said, oh, I'm in tears, Tony, can I tweet it? So mm. I said, yeah. So he said, can your system take up to 50 million hits? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, Steve. Let's give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah. So he did, and it did go big, obviously. And yeah. then the um, then what happened was I got an email from a publisher saying that Stephen, seeing the, my images on Stephen's, t- would, that would make a great book. What I'd do was, so I spoke to my three brothers, because obviously bringing my dad's story to life and they said well we understand you'll what you'll do and mm. I said I'll show you before it's published you know I won't do anything so that it went ahead and then it it just got picked up and the the, the day the, the mail the Saturday mail ran it in its entirety and serialized it then it was sold to Germany and a German magazine called Bilt mm. did the same a German newspaper the biggest German newspaper they did the same on a Sunday um and then I started doing, getting involved in the dementia world, doing projects and doing mm. my talk on the book all over the place, working with Professor Alistair Burns. Mm. Um, I got involved with Exeter University, who have a big dementia outlet with Ian McMillan and Ian Beasley, mm. um, who's a photographer and a poet. And, the, so, and then other people around Exeter, there's a lady called Gina in Exeter who I've done a, a calendar with. Um, I've done lots of projects around the country and 
I'm working with Stirling University, Manchester University, Nottingham University. I've done another book for Nottingham University on, on a carer called Daisy. So it's just kind of mm. taken off. I've done murals. I do these murals in care homes, and they're, you know, they're about 15 by 4, mm. and they're basically about images of people who are older and their life hasn't finished. Yeah. They can do lots of things. So these image, these murals are dotted. There's one up in in Scotland. There's one in Warrington. There's two in Exeter, Devon. So it's you know mm. it's just taken off. Well, my my grandma, who I was very close to, she had dementia for many years before oh, she really? died, and I can so I can you know identify with a lot of the, the Have themes you seen that the you book? were looking. I've seen some yeah. of the images, yeah. And um, I mean, what has what's the experience been like then, having having come up with that idea and then seen it? seen all the, the interest that people yeah. have had in it has that been quite satisfying it's or? been satisfying um, yeah. I do the talk a PowerPoint thing on the book that lasts about 45 minutes and I'm going through the story of every loads of times um, and that's quite draining emotionally draining but yeah. it does touch people you get people laughing and crying when I tell some of the stories about dad you know like his little dog Lossie how he loved Lossie and he was devoted to him her and well, I did say to dad once when he was in, I said, Dad is lossy, a boy or a girl? And he says, Both son, both. Mm-hmm. And I just so I never found out. Yeah. But I remember when he had to take him into the into the care home when eventually he couldn't live on his own. And he, we left the cottage, which is just over the Werneth Low, there that he'd been in for 60 years. And my mum had died about 15 years before she had cancer. Mm. And he just said, Where are we going? So I said, Well, we're going on holiday, dad, because the idea was it was like a respite. And that made us feel better because we weren't just taking him to a care home and leaving mm. him. If he really didn't like it, we'd bring him out. If he did like it, we'd, um, you know, he, he could stay there. And it's mm. a place called Hatton Grange in Hyde, mm. so, and it's a good place. So he said, yeah, so we got in the car, put his bags in the car, I, I was driving, and he had Lossie on his knee, <laughs> and he sat stroking Lossie, and he said, we're going on holiday, Lossie, we're going on holiday. And... Um, I got to the care home, what he knew, but I, that I did, that he didn't know, was that Lossie couldn't stay there. And it was one of the worst things I've ever had to do was say, Dad, I've mm-hmm. got to take Lossie off you now. He said, no, you're not taking Lossie. Lossie's my dog, you can't take Lossie. And I'm going, Dad, I've got to take him, please, you know. And the ladies say, no, just go, just go. Mm-hmm. So I took Lossie out of his arms and he was crying. I looked back and he's banging on the window of the care home, shouting, mm-hmm. shouting, come back. And it was heartbreaking and... So I sat in the car, just cried, I drove away and stopped, and then just cried. And Lossie came back here, lived here, because um, got the garden outside. And he had a good life, Lossie, and I could take him back to see Dad. Right, so, you so could, he could see Lossie again. Yeah. And, the, and did he remember He, he did. about um, Lossie? Oh, yeah, he did originally, and then and after a while he just, just sat there when Lossie came right. and just didn't... But, um, you know, like in the, in the care home, he got a girlfriend and... You know, so he used to go in there and I remember my brother going in once, Keith, and my dad sat there with um, Sylvia, the lady, mm. and sat holding hands and it was quite a busy care home so you couldn't really hear what my dad was saying and Keith said, Dad, I can't hear what you're saying, let's go to your room. So my dad went to the room with him and but he got really agitated. So Keith said, why are you agitated, Dad? He said, oh, I know, you're missing your girlfriend, aren't you? And my dad said, oh, less, less of that bloody talk. 
he said, but I tell you that there's marriage in the air. <laughs> and he was like, oh, wow. So How old was he at this stage? He was about 85. Right. And um, he said to me, he said, we go everywhere together, you know. And oh. basically it was just walking around the corridors of the care home. Um, so there's, see, I'm telling these stories, so you get tears and you get laughter. And yeah. It's, um, it's quite a beautiful story in a way. But yeah. people afterwards come up and they sign the book and they, they're in tears and saying, that's my granddad, that's my mum. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, it's universal. Yeah. So what was, what did your mum and dad do when you were, when you were a kid? My dad was, um, my mum was a stay-at-home mum. Yeah. They lived in an isolated cottage over the back of Wernerthlow. Where's Wernerthlow? This is, you're on it. Oh, I see. This is Wernerthlow, where right. you are now. Right. And towards the, it's a country park over there, and then it gets very rural. So <coughs> Hyde, drop, the Hyde area. Yeah, it's a Manchester, Hyde, yeah. yeah. Hyde, Manchester, uh, um, yeah. Um, my dad worked for GUS, Great Universal Stores, Great Universal Stores, Mail yeah. Order. And he was quite high in management. He was a bright guy. Um, he, was, he liked painting and he liked doing ideas. He was an ideas man. But he didn't make it in the creative world, and um, which I did. Hmm. Did he try and pursue a creative He career? did. He wrote some scripts. He wrote some songs. He was a brilliant pianist. He could play piano right to the very end, you know, boogie-woogie stuff. Right. Um, he came here for Christmas Day, the last time. Music was this massive for people with dementia. Yeah. And I remember he came here, and we had a dinner in this room. Uh, there's an American band called Low. I don't know if you know Low. I love them. them, yeah, yeah. And they've got a Christmas album, and they do Silent Night on it. And my dad hadn't said anyone anything to anyone for two weeks. So he's sat there, and we're all sat there, and he's eating quietly, not said a word. And the band start with Silent Night, hmm. and he just looks around, and then he puts his knife and fork down and starts to sing Silent Night, hmm. beautifully, word for word. When the song finishes, he picks up his knife and fork, carries eating, didn't say another word. So as if it hadn't happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. just, but the music was there, and he, but yeah. he, every single word, but he hadn't spoken for two weeks. And the book "Take Care, Son" is named after when I had a deadline to do. It was for Anne Summer's catalogues. Right. I was doing a book called the Karma Sutra, spelled C L C A L M E R. So it was based on the Karma Sutra. Right. My dad would have hated it. My mum would have hated it, but. He was gone into this sort of sleep state where he just never didn't wake, just just lay there all the time. And we'd go and sit. so I thought I'd sit with him and and draw, do finish the deadline. So I did all these. Why would they have hated it, by the way? They were very moral and they just didn't. Right. You know, you don't mention sex and sex right. was, it was a bit taboo for them. Yeah, so oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember watching um, a play on Roads to Freedom, the, f right. the play. And this is going back when I was about 15, and I rose to freedom on the side and I said, can I watch it? And they said, no, and I said, no it'll be filthy. And <laughs> I, said, you know, I said, it's a brilliant play, it's you know, it's world-renowned play, and we're doing it at GCE at school. So eventually they said, OK, turn it on, <laughs> turn it on. There's a couple having sex. And I thought, oh, my God. And my mum and dad were, like, really quiet, and, they, you know, that horrible moment. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, God. I once made the mistake of watching the film with my mum and dad, and there was a sex scene, and it was... I'm still scarred by that memory of that yeah. feeling in the room. Yeah. Nobody real. should sit with their parents watching that. No, 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 <laughs> definitely not. So, um, 
So yeah, so that's what was what was, what was that about? That He's was saying about uh, about dementia. Yeah, <laughs> what was that about? And, oh, about about your dad's love of singing. And oh yeah, the singing. So then he sang sound that. But the take care some book. Sam sat yeah. with him, and he not said anything for about three weeks now. He'd just been unconscious really. Yeah. And um, so I finished the book. I'd been there all day, and it was going dark. I had dinner there, and I got up and I said, Dad, I've got to go now, and um, love you very much. Gave him a kiss on the forehead as I was going I got to the door and he just said take care son and it was like wow and I went back and said dad dad yeah. but you're gone again it's just that yeah I mean I remember that really clearly from my grandma there was just very flashing moments of sort of lucidity and yeah when they were back almost yeah but then it would just go just again go, yeah yeah, yeah it's a really yeah. amazing thing to, I mean yeah. amazing is the wrong word but it, you know it really shocks you doesn't it it's when you poignant, see it. Isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. so th that's where the title of the book came from right my title of the book was um, d dementia. Oh, I forget. Is that what I had? <laughs> Which was real crap. Yeah. But the, the girl called Fritha Saunders, who worked on the book with me, she said the best title in this is "Take Care, Son." Yeah, Which that is, moment of yeah, that moment. him being yeah. back almost. Yeah. So, were you when you were young and did you identify, or were you keen early on 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 drawing and drawing cartoons? Oh yeah, I loved drawing and I wanted to be an artist. Is that what you wanted to be from an early age? Yeah. Right. Um, but my dad wouldn't let me. He, I, he, I wanted to be go to the studio, and I remember getting a job in a, des, a graphic design in a textile design studio, mm. and I wasn't that great really as an art, you know. And the, but I got the job as a junior there, and I think you know this is fabulous. And and I went home, and Dad was he wouldn't let me go to art college. He let my brother go to why not? I don't know. He let my brother go to painting and decorating college. Right. Um, but I couldn't go to art college. Do you think he felt like it was too risky? It was. I don't know whether he felt a bit envious or risky, mm -hmm. or he was like, you know, he couldn't. I don't know. I, I never I had a big argument with him once about why can't he go? Keith can go to be a painter and decorator, but I can't learn to be an artist. Mm. Um, so I would. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's things like that about when. I think a lot of the reason I've done so well is to show my dad that I can do it, you know, that's right. that whole thing. So um, it's complexed, complexed. So what did you do then, if he, he wouldn't let you do it? So well, I ended up in advertising. Right. Um, I got a job in adver advertising agency in Manchester in the production department. Right. But I spend all the time with the artists and the copywriters, and the copywriters let me write some headlines for some of the products. And What were the, some of the products you were working Oh, I don't with? know. There was a fishing company called Abu a Swedish Abu Fishing. I did some adverts for them, <laughs> some wasp killer thing. Um, but I used to, the, 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 one of their biggest clients were Littlewoods and they used to do Spot the Ball. Yeah, yeah. So every week I'd take the plates down to London to the Daily Mirror and the, the whatever the newspapers were, I'd, my job to get the get the overnight train. To right. Run. I loved it. <laughs> and I'd spend all the money that from expenses. I'd walk everywhere and then spend the money on albums, you know, vinyls. Yeah. Um, so I'd go to London these records. What were your big ones at the time, the, the vinyl that you were buying, the albums? The, the vinyls then would be... Um, this, this, that was the hippie time, so there'd be Hendrix and right. Jethro Tull and um, the Stones. Stones have been the band I've loved all my life. Right. Um, so there'd be bands like that, the Jefferson Aeroplane and... I used to go to a club called the Magic Village in Manchester. Right. It's um, a hippie club, and it was run by Roger Eagle, who also had the Twisted Wheel. Yeah. But I saw 
Mark Bowling, I saw Tyrannosaurus Rex, I saw Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett there, um, Joe Cocker and The Nice with Ian Keith Emerson and the Groundhogs. Mm. Um, I missed Bowie by one night. Bowie <laughs> played 30 people. Yeah. He was doing, I saw him do the mime thing at Free Trade Hall with Tyrannosaurus Rex, yeah. where he was the mime artist and he kept coming on dancing through these songs. Yeah. Um, but he, he, the night before he played The Magic Village, just him and an acoustic guitar. Right. Um, so I missed that, <laughs> but I did see Bowie's first ever gig with the Spiders at Manchester Free Trade Hall. Wow, how was that? It was amazing. And the good thing, Mark Riley hates it. Mark's a friend of mine. Mark's yeah. a huge Bowie fan. And I went to Lewis's where the tickets were on sale, Spiders and Mars. And um, I said to the guy, "I want two tickets for Bowie. Um, there's David Bowie, the Spiders from Mars." He said, "Help yourself. You are the first. Right. And Mark hates that. <laughs> So you got the first ticket to the first gig? Yeah, not it's not the first gig. Sorry, the the, the, first, the first tour it was. First tour, yeah, right, but yeah. I got the first ticket for Manchester. Right, and I had all the place to choose, and the chairs upstairs in the stalls. Right, and when we got there, there's two hundred of us, and they all, everybody else was downstairs. And my mate said, "Why have you got up here, you idiot?" And they won't let us go down. <laughs> and the guts, and there's about two hundred people around the stage. They all just ran to the stage. Right, and Bowie and the band played. They were amazing. And he, he gave a guitar away. And my mate's going, you fucking idiot. He's mate's cute. And I said, yeah, but you got a good sound up here. Yeah, you got a good sound. It would yeah. have had to be a good throw if you did Yeah, and then he walked on someone's shoulder. He was walking on people's shoulders. And, <laughs> and um, apparently on the way out, though, what we didn't know, but a friend of mine was there said that the roadies ran after the guy with the guitar and said, can we have it back? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he does that at all the gigs. <laughs> We'd lose every gig, so... Um, <laughs> Well, notice you've got a guitar right next to you. Yeah, that's was my that son's. Something no. that you always played, is it? No, it's no. I, don't, I have got a drum kit in my studio. Right. This is Paul's. My son Paul was a good oh, guitar really? player. Yeah. So. So um, do you play drums? I play drums badly, but it's like right. it's more a release. Yeah. Um, I've got a drum kit. But, um, is that more of a recent thing to play drums, or were you playing drums? No, I played drums a long time, but never in a band. Right. I've always dreamt of being in a band. Yeah. You know, playing for United or being a drummer in a band, but <laughs> I did neither. Um, but I became a cartoonist, so that's cool. That's, that's right. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, were you encouraged at school? Like, was your sort of talent in inverted commas? Was yeah, it, was we, it identified or, or was not, it not as a cartoonist? Really? I was, I was an average artist, really. I mean, I had no great gift, graphic design gifts or anything like that. The um, you know, my art teacher, Mr. Howard, was very encouraging with me. He knew I had talent. Mm. But I was also good at writing stories, mm. and my English teacher used to encourage me, and he used to, you know, read out my stories a lot because I had a bad stammer when I was a kid. Right between ages of leaving during secondary school until I was about eighteen, nineteen. <coughs> so, do you know why that was? Or? I don't know. I'm not sure. Don't know. But it just came, and and the fact now that I, you know, I couldn't, put, I couldn't say anything. I'd, um, I'd create sentences where words that I'd struggled with mm. um, you'd avoid right. certain words and I used to hate going to I used to be a window dresser was one of the other jobs thinking mm. it was creative for Burton Taylors but oh you'd, you got a photograph you had to copy the photograph from head office Yeah. but when you'd go to the window of the railway station to get my ticket and Darwin was one we used to go in Darwin and it's like oh fuck and I'd hate it I'd wait till they were quiet and then trying to say, can I have a ticket to, um, oh. so yeah. I was talking to one guy with a stammer once, he came here, he wants to be a cartoonist, Yeah, and he said he would 
he went to a school where they start with a beat, they buzz, yep. and then you get, I would like to go for a drink. And he said, him and his mate, who had a bad stammer, hmm. they went to um, buy his mate's mum some perfume from Boots. And he said they went in there and this went to the sky, this really beautiful girl. Mm. And so his mate starts, I would, would like some... But the, she was like, kept saying, what? And he goes, And she goes, are you taking the mickey? And so he's went, So she said to this lad, is he taking the mickey? And he went, So they both... So they just, they both ran out of boots. But he said he'd get on the bus. And I had to do this sometimes, is say the only stop that you can actually pronounce without stammering, which is like four stops past. And then you'd walk so, up from there. Well, no, you pay more, you get off where you wanted to go. Oh, I see, but right. You'd, so you'd lose you just money. say where you, the yeah, stop you could so say. Yeah, so I say somewhere like D, you're going to go to Denton. Yeah. And go you. say, can I go to Hyde from Manchester? So right. then you'd pay, I could say Hyde, it's fine. So So you'd pay like... Ten pence more, yeah. And you'd, you know, you know, where's all the money going? I can't say where I'm supposed to be going, so I'm, <laughs> I'm losing out here. So, so were you when that you say it was when it was eighteen that that came to an end. I mean, did, did it just sort of stop overnight, or did it? No, I still have certain. I can still feel it in me, hmm. um, but yeah, I think it it did. I mean, I'd, I was never great at public speaking but now I can talk to anybody mm. I can talk I did my talk to about 300 admiral nurses a couple of weeks ago I've done a talk to a thousand people at one, one, one event you know a dementia event and it doesn't matter it doesn't bother me now mm. just with the confidence in me with <clears throat> becoming a cartoonist has grown and yeah. I know that it's just changed so I can talk about and the thing with being a cartoonist is I'm with with life, I'm not so sure, you know, I'm mm. not that confident. But <laughs> with my work, I just know that I'm as good as anybody at it. And, mm. you know, I can talk to Stephen Fry, I can talk to Michael Palin, and I work with Hattrick, Jimmy Mulville and stuff. Griff Rhys-Jones, I know, Griff's a friend, and mm. I work with him on a... I created a, a, an idea for a TV series with him and work with Griff. So I'm not afraid of anyone at that level because yeah. I know they might have loaded more money than me but and they might be more famous on the box but I don't it, I'm not scared of no them whereas life is different because mm. life is real isn't it whereas mm -hmm. this, I live in my head a lot um, I think when we, where we lived over in the countryside at the back of Bernathlow here yeah it was very isolated so I think I did live a lot in my head when you were young you mean yeah yeah I imagined a lot I used to lie in but you go to bed early and just imagine things and mm. create all sorts of stories in my head so um, yes, and so, and I think the stammering, you know, meeting girls and things like that, it doesn't mm. help when you stammer and stuff. So I'd kind of very shy. So what sort of, you know, what were you getting involved in then in terms of uh, sort of illustration or design and, and writing? Well, what were you really doing then? Well, what did you think? Where did you think it could go? Well, at the time, I, was, I worked in advertising for a couple of years. Yeah. Then I became a window dresser and then I became a jeweller. Right. Job in jeweler, but throughout all those, I was drawing. Yeah, in my spare time, and what I realised was I was a natural cartoonist. How did you realise that? Just by, I used to <clears throat> when the advertising agency used to get punch. Yeah, in the and so I just watched read these cartoons. Yeah, and then 
I could draw cartoons, and so I'd not copy, but I'd be influenced by various cartoonists. And then Grassi, some of the hippie magazines came out, a magazine called Grassi and one called Mole, Mole Express, mm. and I started drawing for them. So what they, they didn't have any money, but they would review albums, and they'd give me albums. And Ray Lowry was another cartoonist who drew for them. Right. Um, I, in those days, I was called Ant, A-N-T, um, after Anthony, you know, my name. So I'd, so I'd start doing that. Well, so that's and, how you signed them? Yeah, yeah. A-N-T. I did some work in a, for the agency, Wilson Advertising, and one of the directors there, they, one of their clients was Burlington World, Burlington, which was the mail order company, and they had their own magazine, so I did full pages for their magazine. Mm. So they were the first real paid ones. And I just loved it, I loved the process. And then I won something in the Stockport Express, I think it was, as a cartoonist, and one of this, probably Bill Tidy judged it. Mm. And I got, I was living at home with mum and dad, and I got this phone call from them saying, are you going to be long? So I said, with what? And she said, well, Bill Tidy's here waiting to give you the prize. <laughs> and I said, no one's told me I've won it. <laughs> So they said, oh, my God. And they heard him shout at somebody. He said, did you not tell him? He said, I thought, oh, fuck, no, I didn't. <laughs> so Bill Tidy's waiting in. But um, I wrote... So did you get down there to get it? Or? No, because oh. no, in those days, it didn't, you know, it's like no cars. And no. So they, they saved it for me. I got this, whatever I got, a, a, a voucher and a picture. What year would that have been then? About 19, I was 20, about 70, 1970. Okay. So I was working for Mall Express and Grass Eye for them yeah. by then, and me and Ray Lowry are the main cartoonists. And then I just started sending cartoons to the mail and, and the mirror. So were you just sending them on, you know, just... In spec, yeah. Yeah. And do you remember what was the first one you got published? Do you remember? Or do you remember what it was like when you got that first one published? The first one published would be in Grass, Grass Eye, I think. Right. And it's just great seeing it in print and yeah. you get addicted to that. And did you feel then that that was... A real sign that this, you know, this potentially was it. This is what you could. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew then straight away what I wanted to be. Right, that was it. Did that it just was... feel natural to you doing the yeah. cartoons? Once you yeah. once you kind of identified that as a particular way of being able to illustrate and yeah. use your words, as because well, it, it was natural. I yeah. didn't have to. It wasn't a struggle. It the came I, easily to you. Yeah, the ideas came easy. Yeah, and then but so then I started working. Sending out all the time. There's all the magazines in those days had cartoons in them. Yeah, there was Weekly News and Revelli and Titbits. The She Magazine had um, the Daily Mirror, the Sun. Then the Star was born, and that had you know, the other gag cartoons we call them. Mm. So I started doing them, and then eventually I was a jeweler for about twelve years. I was making repairing jewelry and right. making jewelry. So that was your full time job still for all, yeah for that time. Yeah, yeah, and then I turned full time cartoon in eighty four. Right. In 1984, my um, I got voluntary redundancy from the jewellery place, and I thought I'm going to do it, try and try it. Mm. And the Daily Star had bought and started buying me lots of cartoons. The girly magazines were like Men Only and Mayfair and Fiesta and Knave. Mm. There was there's thousands of magazines, so and I was really prolific. Mm. Once I was on my own, just all the day in, to do it, and I wasn't knackered after a day hard day's work. Mm. I just, you know, suddenly I was in it, and I could draw 
and everybody liked my work. Did it feel like a risk at the time, leaving the jewellery career, or did it feel like well, a... Not really, because <clears throat> it was, in those days, jobs weren't that hard. No. You know, I wasn't a great jeweller, so it wasn't like I was, you know, I was going to be missed by the jewellery world. How did you get into the jewellery, though, in the first place? I just knew the guy, the guy called John, who lived at the house at the top here, hmm. and... I just said, I'd like to be designed jewellery. Right. And then he said, all right. So obviously they were crap. <laughs> but he said, why didn't you work for me? We'd make jewellery, repair jewellery. Right. Which is a different ball game altogether. Yeah. They're called jobbing jewellers. Not quite what you had in mind, but... No, but... It, it paid it, the bills. It paid the bills. Yeah. And then I was able to do foreigners and repair people's jewellery. Then I became going around to um, selling diamonds and stuff and wheeling and dealing. And I got to know all the Jewish um, diamond dealers and mm. jewelers, and they were fabulous characters. You'd go in there, and I remember <laughs> Solly Goldberg and, um, you know, what's he called? Jaime. Jaime Smallman was another one. And right. these amazing characters who um, <laughs> just lived to just deal with this jewelry, and you'd, um, they were great. Good. So I got to know all that world as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so it, but it didn't feel like a risk. When no, no. Because took, I took the plunge. Sevi enters hey, the Sebi. room. But yeah, it didn't feel like a risk. No, no, it didn't because I'd, uh, I've got some money in the bank now. Um, it's only twelve hundred quid, but <laughs> going back to nineteen eighty four is a bit more. Mm. And so I just got stuck in, and I'd, if it worked, it worked. But I had to do it. I had to try it. I had to try it. Yeah. What was the tipping point that made you think? Yeah, I can now do this full time. I got a book published um, called "Hundred Ways to Use a Severed Head." It was <laughs> it was a bit of a jumping on the bandwagon of a hundred ways to use a dead cat. Yeah, I Sam, remember that book, Simon Bond. Yeah, we had um, I had that book when I was a kid. Yeah, so um, so it was kind of that thing. Yeah. Taking it to the next level, almost. Yeah, and then. <laughs> so then I was getting in the Star, Daily Star, a guy called Jerry Lip was the editor, of the, and he used to use 10 of my cartoons a week in the mm. columns, and then the Mirror started buying them, and the News of the World, and the people all had cartoons, strips of cartoons. Mm. And then the big thing was possibly, oh, then I, was, I got into Private Eye, and yeah. I was told, Ray Lowry said to me, Private Eye's a closed shop, there's no point trying. So and anyway, I, I thought, well, no, I will try. And I sent some off, and in those days I'd sent, do them all as a finished cartoon. So I did them all as finished cartoons. Now I do pencil roughs because you know I can do because they know who I am. So like the like the sketch of what it will look like eventually, yeah. and the yeah. idea, the yeah. concept. Yeah, it's just like rough pencil drawing. And yeah. in in fact, they've just taken two. I'll show you. And they've got, so just bought two back. Um, this, you know, Alexa. Hmm. The and one of them's. This guy sat next to us saying, Alexa, is my wife having an affair? <laughs> and then the other one is a bunch of knights dressed up round a little coffee table, round coffee table. And one of them saying, I'm, 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 I'm tad disappointed in the, um, in the table. Because <laughs> it's a big round table, but it's a little coffee table. <laughs> um, so, but that, so then I sent these cartoons into Private Eye mm. and got them back with... Um, Rejection. You get used to rejections. You yeah. just get used to rejections all the time. Uh, and so I thought, oh, well, that's, that's what Ray Larry said. And then Mike Patrick rang me, Patrick Gallagher, and he just said, Woo, you didn't tell me about private eyes. So I said, what? He said, you've got two in. I said, I haven't. Right. I said, you have. He said, I'm looking at them now. 
So I dashed into Hyde to get Private Eye, and they were there. And I thought, so I rang Private Eye up. I said, oh, you've used two of my cartoons, but you sent me a rejection. Yeah. And Hillary, the girl, quite legendary Hillary then, I didn't know her, but right. she said, oh, I'm really sorry, is that OK? And I'm going, oh, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, oh, shit, I've upset them by saying by asking them, have they got... But what had happened, they'd, they'd quite carefree, they'd just stick... They hadn't said we bought two. Right. So then, but Ian Hislop had just moved in as an assistant to Richard Ingram's, and I started. He start, Ian started buying them, and and so then was I'm, this Yobs at this stage, or was this? Well, no, this is this just gags. They call yeah, gag gag, ones, gag yeah. cartoons, and then I won the gag cartoonist of the year award in '84. Eight, my first year, I won the gag cartoonist of the year award, and then um, I got invited to the Private Eye. 25th anniversary mm. and they got the Brighton Bell to Brighton it was in Brighton and it was where the tourist party was bombed you know with Thatcher yeah the IRA bombed them it was that venue so that was great mm. so I thought I'm in here and then I got a letter from Ian Hislop and it was basically I'd done a lot of skinhead jokes because when I was a hippie I was beaten up by a gang of skinheads and threatened with a knife they put a knife to my throat and all How sorts. old were you then? 20, 20, was it 1920. It was Hattersley. We'd right. been to a party on Hattersley and they had, they'd all arrived and then they went, some stayed and we said, you've got to leave, lads. You know, We weren't fine because we were... And we all went to the chippy afterwards and suddenly they all appeared at the door and said, oh, yeah, they are the hippies. And I'd got a buckskin jacket on like Dennis Hopper from Easy, In Easy Rider. Yeah. And um, still got, I've got it upstairs, still got the blood on it from... Oh, really? Yeah, so, um, but that kind of changed my life as well. Really? Was it quite a serious... Yeah, they got beaten up, and I wasn't physically serious, but mentally. And when you help, and there's some sticks of knife in your throat, and so, yeah. and they'd got all your hair, and they're dragging you along with a knife. And, and then I told my dad about it next day, and I was really... And he just said, well, I hope you fought back and walked out. And I thought, no, I, I need... To talk about this, but how did that feel when you it was said a horrible that? rejection type thing? Mm. It was like I just felt lost, and it kind of changed my life in lots of ways. I stopped going to places where people like that might be, so I'd plan where I was going. So just going naturally, I'd plan. I could leave. I'd have excuses to leave a place mm. if I felt the atmosphere. I can. I can still get get an atmosphere right immediately. I can still see two people arguing across the road when no one else has. Mm. I'm just tuned into it now because right, of that. Because of that incident. Yeah. Um, but I started drawing skinheads to get my own back, you know, jokes. And Ian said, you know, we love your skinhead jokes. Mm. Do you want to do a strip? I'll call it Yobs, give it a short run and see how it goes. And that's, <laughs> So I was poorly in bed. I got a, a, a letter, you know, an old letter. And um, I got out of bed and started drawing. Right. Sent them in and he said, yeah, we love these. And that was 35 years ago. So it's now the second longest running strip in private eye after Hom Sap, David right. Austin's yeah. and sadly David died a few years ago, so if I don't die, hopefully <laughs> you know, I might be the longest running strip in private. That must be satisfying to have oh, it. Oh it is, for it's for, yeah, fabulous. Yeah. But then I so I started doing that and then I met this guy called Pat Patrick, who mm. mentioned about Private Eye, who wanted to be a cartoonist. And we also I wrote for the children's comics like Wizard and Chips and Smasher mm. and um you know, I wrote some of the characters like for Chalky and, you know, all these characters. And mm. um, Did they approach you about doing that then or did you no, again just, submit ideas? just again submit ideas. Just and you, Would you literally just send it, like address it to the editor? The editor of, with a stamped address envelope in. Yeah. And you just bombard them with ideas. I'd send right. them, you'd send, say, ten 
rough cartoons to the you'd go with the most best payer mm. and you'd end up with the least payer which week, weekly news was the worst payer <laughs> the Manchester News was the worst payer yeah. but the weekly news was you know at that from that so Titbits and Rivelli and, week, and Weekend mm. She Magazine um, and then all the national papers all the red tops all had cartoons in and then I started writing for the comics um, my style was too loose for the comics and I met Pat who wrote for the comics and then one day he went for a drink with him and we got on really well and and then he rang me he said I've just met this guy in High Town Manchester Town Hall I was <coughs> Pat worked Manchester Town Hall and he had all his comics spread out and this guy came up and said do you write for comics and mm. he said yeah and this guy called Mark Rogers who was one of the top comic writers and he said I'm Mark I write for them too so him and Pat got chatting and so I met the three of them and we decided to come up with our own comic. This is Oink. Oink, yeah. See, I remember Oink. <coughs> I got Oink when I was yeah. a teenager. Yeah, so, I remember it coming out because yeah. it was so different to yeah, it was. anything um, else that was around then. So we met a guy called Bob Painter who was head of um, head of IPC comic section and, yeah. and he knew Mark. He knew, you know, we all worked, we all wrote, but Mark especially was one of the star writers. Because that's all he did, you know. Mm. I'd got everything else going on, so I'd write occasional stuff. And I remember write, <laughs> writing one. It was called for Chalky and his magic pen, <laughs> and he had to draw. I got the guy who um, to draw. One of the drawings was the Queen um, with a, on, in the in the gold in the in the golden stagecoach mm. pulled by. A, white horses in a crowd heading towards Westminster Abbey and I did it and they said oh we'll accept that strip and right. I got a phone call from the artist Tony for fuck's sake I get a 50 quid a page I spent about four days drawing one fucking frame can you please so I said oh sorry Barry and um, so after that a simple became good Okay. so um, so then Oink came out and we I was doing and then Play, Playboy rang me yeah. And just said this seem Oh, I got into Punch. Yeah. That was the other thing. So how satisfying was that, getting that into was Punch? Great. After it being, you know, something that you were reading and, and being oh, inspired amazing. by in the yeah. early days. There was, yeah, it was great. And because when I was trying to be a cartoonist, I wrote to Mayfair and I wrote to Punch and said, why won't you buy my cartoons? Right. And Mayfair said, well, we don't like your drawings, but we love your jokes. And Punch right. said, we like your jokes, but we don't like your drawings. <laughs> Um, I suppose oh, that's the risk you run as a cartoonist, yeah. isn't it? So because it's the I, two things yeah. together always. So isn't I it? just I said, sorry, I'll do whatever. What, if they don't like it, I'll just do what feels funny. Yeah. And I remember doing Punch used to send rejections, and it would be sorry, not quite. Oh, it's been not quite. Right. Which is a bit, and then sometimes you get the editors saying sorry, not quite. Yeah. And I did a, a montage of like a drawing of me on a building. <laughs> And the wall was all these rejection slips and me yeah. about to jump off. Right. And they rang me up and said, you're not about to do something daft, are you, Tony? <laughs> so I said, no, it's humour. <laughs> and David Austin, the cartoonist who has Hom Sepper, went to his studio once and David had got the, um, the not quite things because we all got them. And it was not quite, he put bastard. And then another one, not quite bastard. And then another one, not quite bastard. And then the sorry, not quite, he got patronising bastard. <laughs> So it was. Um, so you just get to used to get rejections, but yeah. you have to believe in yourself. What's that like then? I mean, I know there are there are many professions, particularly in these creative industries, aren't there? Where mm. rejection, you arguably get more rejection 
more rejection oh, than you get success. Oh yeah. What's that? What's that like? You know, it's, day to day, especially in the early days. It's horrible because you've it. got to really believe in yourself mm. to keep. You've done a hard day's work. You come and you get home. You got to start. And then you get home. And there's a couple of envelopes there, and they said sorry. Mm. And you think, right, I've got to create some more now to send them out. I remember <clears throat> I got really down on it once, and I took some winners in the jury place. And I got a magazine, some cartoons sent to She magazine, and I couldn't be asked sending them. Yeah. And I remember seeing the the envelope there for ages left in the jewellery workshop, and it got covered in dust because it was a very dirty thing. Mm. And it got we were quite depressed looking at this envelope. And so I just thought, I'm going to send it. And just, I sent it. It got stamps on it. Mm. And um, they came back and said, we bought three. Right. So then, you know, you think, well, you don't know. You never know. You never yeah. know what next. So anyway, we did Oink. Um, I then wrote a play. I, I, I did Punch. I, I won the Time Cartoonist Times Cartoon of the Year, mm. and they said, "What ambitions have you got left?" And this is in 1987 or whatever, or 88. And I just said, "Well, I'd like to write a children's book, mm. and I'd write write to have a, a cover Punch cover." Next day, Punch rang me and said, "You've got a cover," right? And because he'd read it, and then this writer called David Wood, who had his company called Whirly Gig, right. He uh, rang me and just said he, he's got lots of my cartoons he's bought from the Cartoon Gallery in London, and he read about me wanting to write a book. Do you want, do you want to write a book, a children's book? So, and he was a seasoned writer, he's a playwright, a very good one. Mm. So I met David and we wrote this book called um, Save the Human, mm. which was basically about animals being in charge and and humans being the pets. And animals were taking over, and they were knocking down housing states and building jungles. And right. So, and they had we had a, a live aid for animals, and so we started to write this. And then he got a phone call when I was with him, saying, "You know, we've got to. Um, you, you've been commissioned to do a children's play. How's it going?" And he'd forgotten. And he said, <laughs> "He said, Tony, just shit, I've got to write a children's play." He said, "Shall we make this into a play?" Right. So we did, and it, it toured the country, and we got all these actors. I designed the. I designed these sets, and my cartoons were projected behind the actors on stage. It played at the Palace in Lon in Manchester, and the first one was at, it was commissioned by the Cambridge Theatre, mm. and we went to the Cambridge, and it was like packed with children, and um, I'd written a song called Rock and Roar, which which we played at Live Aid by a band called The Pride, who were lions, mm. and it was pretty basic stuff, <laughs> um, and. And but and this guy wrote the music, and but when they came on, the like these all the kids started dancing. I'm thinking, oh my god! And um, um, but with the same with Oink, when we did Oink, we gave away two flexi discs mm. with the first with the first issues. Yeah, and Mark Riley um, did the music. I had to listen to them. They're on yeah. the web your website. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, d I did the Oink rap and. Yeah, um, yeah. And John Peel played them both on his show. So <laughs> not many people have had, you know, done a comic and John. And John was no. a big fan of it and his kids were. Like, so I got to know John very well. John Peel yeah. became a good friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was doing all that. And I, mean, I got in lots of trouble as well. Yeah. What, I mean, was, what trouble did it get into? Well, it, it, Ian Paisley's party wanted it banned from Ireland. Right. Um, I, did, I wrote a script <laughs> for, it was about Rambo. Um, all the Disney characters, Donald Duck and, Walt and Mickey Mouse, had all been captured and were held in Pippin Fort. And 
so Rambo was um, parachuted in to mm. rescue them. So he goes through the streets of, um, you know, where Postman Patties and Fireman Sam and right. all the English sort of characters. Yeah. And he's blasting them all with his machine gun. <laughs> and um, he gets to, and, you know, the Fireman, you know, Sam the Baker and stuff. Yeah. And he gets to them and rescues them from Trumpton Fort. Right. And shoots all the people in Trumpton. <laughs> that came out the day of the Hungerford Massacre. Right. And um, we got a phone call from Bob, and he goes, Tony, we've got to pull it, we can't, it's too late. And then the guy in the House of Commons, one of the MPs, said it should be, this filthy, vile comic should be banned. And they didn't sort of cotton on that it was written six months before. And <laughs> yeah. so, um, so how did, what was that like, being at the centre of all that? I mean, was, did you feel any... Well, no, because I, I just knew that, I thought that it was... Um, Sod's Law, really. I'd, mm. I'd also done a, I'd written a thing, I used to write a TV series called um, Canon mm. in Shoot magazine, and a guy called Ron Tyner, who's a straight illustrator, you know, mm. in, in the style of Roy of the Rovers, was to illustrate it. And I did um, a, a story in about this guy who was sacked by the club, by, by the football club, <clears throat> and then goes back, sets fires to the stand, Mm. And that came out the day of the Bradford fire. <laughs> so they pulled the whole strip after that. They right. Didn't do. Um, I did one with Mark. Again, that's just timing, isn't it? It's because timing. It, you know, that you yeah, would have presumably done that several weeks yeah. or months before. There was, um, I also did one cartoon of Mark Hughes. I did it for the magazine and it was great moments in sport. And it was Mark Hughes coming back to score the winning goal in an FA Cup final. And he did. He actually did it. Mm. And somebody, but your cartoonist is a genius. <laughs> and he'd found the thing I'd done a year, you know, a year before about Mark Wright, Mark Hughes coming back to score the winning yeah. goal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it is one of those things. Just on that, by the way, you mentioned United before, and Mark Hughes. Yeah. I'm a United fan as well, and oh, I, just yeah. was, I mean, I'm always really interested in, um, you know, where does that love of United come from? Is that a family thing, or is that family? Yeah, it's yeah. passed down. My brothers. Um, big, well, Keith, my brother, Ronnie, but Keith goes to all the matches. Um, and I remember one of my first memories is my mum crying, and I said, What's the match? Said, There's been a plane crash, and I always remember that. And I was seven, seven mm. or eight, and just she sat in the front room, and it would seem very dark and cold. And I said, What's the match? Said, There's been a plane crash, and all the Busby babes are dead, or the Busby, some of the Busby back, I remember. But mm. so that's it's ingrained in you, it's just part of your life and your fabric and your day into it what was that i mean it clearly was a huge event in manchester at the time but what you know what was that like then as a sort of seven eight year old who was... I, I don't really remember i remember that moment and i remember the yeah. sadness i remember going to manchester with my dad to see something but i can't remember what it was mm. um but yeah no it's, i'm still looking back now duncan edwards i i had i wrote this when we did round the oink oink was finishing um what's he called, Maxwell took over IPC mm. and he just cut everything that wasn't making a fortune. Oink was a great sort of iconic thing, but it wasn't making any money for them. So they, he just cut it. Mm. And then Yorkshire TV said, we want to do a TV version of Oink. This we'll is make you the band. Off, Yeah, well, they said, we'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. And we refused it. It was crap, you know, absolutely right. awful. The three writers, and we could bring on any writers we wanted and the offer they made us. Um... And then they came back, we'll make you another offer. But <clears throat> I'd met by chance, Nick Newman's a friend of mine, the cartoonist. Yeah. And I was staying with Nick in London. 
and I was waiting outside his house and it was raining and this lady came next door and said, are you waiting for Nick? So I said, yeah. So she said, well, do you want to come and wait inside? And so it was Denise O'Donoghue who ran Hattrick Productions mm. and they were right at the younger stage. So when Round the Bend, when Oink finished and York's TV were ripping us off, I rang Nick and I said, that lady lived next door to you, Denise, <laughs> is she still? And he said, yeah, do you want... And I said, can you give me your number? So I rang Denise. She said, come down. So I met Rory McGrath and Jimmy Mulville and right. Denise. And they just said, look, you don't own the copyright to Oink. Forget it. Come up with something else. Right. So we went away and came up around the bend. And with some help from them, Jeffrey Perkins was there. Jeffrey died tragically, got knocked over. But we got people like that. So you're in with people like Hattrick. Mm-hmm. And I would... And then they got a, a guy called John Henderson to direct it, who's done a lot of films and stuff, and he was great. And then they got Spitting Image involved, Spitting Image, yeah. to make the puppets. The puppets, yeah. yeah. And somebody said, you know, let Spitting Image will design them, and somebody said, no, don't let them design them, because you design them. So that's one of them behind you. That's yeah. Roland. Roll <laughs> what um, was he called? Um, that was Vernon, Vince Vermin, the um, comedian. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's yeah, like is. a big rat, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So um, they had stunt rats as well, because um, they had the rats they could move, but yeah. they had stunt rats because when Doc Crock went off on one, he'd get his tail and throw them around the room. So these stunt rats, <laughs> um, but that was great because we yeah. had just so we, as, then I was in with all that crowd and I managed to, I joined the Grouch. I was with Rory McGrath a lot. Yeah, and I just said to him one night, "How do you join the Grouch Club?" And with Liam Carson, who was the manager at the time. And he said, Liam Tony wants to join, how does he do it? And Liam said, well, if you get, I'll get a membership for him. You propose him, I'll second him, he's in tonight. Right. And that was it, that was 30-odd years ago. So I've had crazy times there. Yeah. I mean, they called us up. Well, they, I'd do cartoons for rooms, so I'd, I've not paid for a room for ages. For, I've only paid for about two. Um, so you would... You would rock up I'm, there. I'm there in the house cartoonist, yeah. Right. So I would draw cartoons for them and they would book me a room. See. So, <laughs> which is dangerous. And they invited me down to, when it was the 30th anniversary, I've done a lot of cartoons for the book they did. Yeah. And they wanted to get some of the regulars, you know, the old guard, to come and tell the stories. And I spent an hour and a half with um, Alice, the editor of the book, you know, with a couple of bottles of wine and stuff. And... And at the end of it, I said, how many stories can you print? So she said, two. <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, I'd been there an hour and a half. And <laughs> so um, but so I, then I got to know Rory. I met Griff Rhys-Jones, and I worked on a play with Griff. Hmm. And Stephen Fry came, you know. So And then Rory, I'd got, I'd got this idea about Duncan Edwards coming back as a ghost right? to help a young kid who was a shy and very shy introvert mm. who but also was a brilliant footballer to become where Duncan would have left off if Duncan had survived. I see, yeah. Because I'm very fond of Duncan Edwards. Right. You know, I just, you know, I think he's my favourite footballer who, and who I never saw. Mm. Um, so I told Rory this story and he was, we were off on one party type thing. And a couple of days later, this phone goes at three in the morning it's Rory, obviously, still up and he said Tony John told Jimmy about this story he said we love it um, do you want to work on it mm. so I said yeah yeah so I went back to sleep and I woke up and said to Carol did 
did Roy McGrath ring last night, <laughs> saying he invited me to write a film. So, um, so I wrote this film with with Rory, which was a crazy experience, really. Mm. And it got quite away. You know, we got a full script done called Red Angel. So Duncan Edwards is old part B, you know. Um, I went down to his grave in Dud- in Dudley. I've been, yeah, I've been yeah. to that. Yeah, there's a little sort of museum type thing. Yeah, it? it was in the gym. It was yeah. in the local sports centre. Yeah, lo- it's just a real sort of unobtrusive sports yeah. centre, isn't it? It's strange, yeah. but and really nice. Just a window, memorial, yeah. And he's got a book. Yeah. Uh, and the Duncan Edwards, he wrote a book with the ghostwriter. Um, I was going to interview his mum, talk about him with his mum, but... Um, with the local newspaper guy, and he when I got, he just said, "Oh, really sorry to," and he said she was robbed last night, and mm. guys broke into the flat and took some of his Duncan stuff, so she's in shock. So mm. I didn't get to see her, which was sad. But um, so has the that film that film's not no, it's it, not been it, made. It's it's I can't go into details of why no. I did it. It's do with Rory and personal stuff. Okay, um, personal stuff with him and Hattrick. He was sacked by Hattrick, and he. He got stupid, but um, they got another writer in who the guy who wrote My Left Foot. So yeah. they were, you know, he was an Oscar winning writer, but he changed the story altogether and never right. heard anything. So, right. um, but yeah, it was an experience though working like that. And yeah, you know, he's just in this other world, really. So, have you always sort of split your time between Manchester and London then? Yeah, I mentioned the Grouch Club, and it's like two <laughs> different worlds. Yeah, it's like you yeah, Hyde and the Grouch Club yeah. are pretty different, aren't they? Yeah. And, is it um, nice coming back to Hyde? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the garden and the dog and you know the, you know the normality. Yeah. And then you go down there and it's oh my god, this is crazy. <laughs> but um, do you like? Would you say that you like having both in your life? Not, yeah. Not oh, that yeah. you prefer one or the other. No, no, no. Having both is yeah, great. both. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's got that rock and roll. Somebody said I'm the Keith Richards of cartooning, <laughs> which I'm quite proud of. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good uh, epitaph. Yeah, isn't it, it isn't it. And do you still go down there much, or do yeah, you? Yeah, not as much as I did. Yeah. But, um, you know, with things changing work-wise, because I worked for all the national papers, worked for the Times for twenty odd years, mm. I worked for the Sunday Express, and lots of magazines were were based there. So, um, mm. yeah. So, but now it's. I go down still. I still got. I'm down there in the end of March. I've got an exhibition at a, a, bub, a pub called Pybury, hmm. which is in <laughs> Highbury, and I've got an exhibition there. I've got to take that down. I've, I've got a possible book coming up about abuse with an anonymous writer. Um, so I'm, I've got to go and um, speak to the publisher about that. Hmm. So um, it's a big book, the same sort of style as um, Take Care, Son. Right. So it's going to be um, that's, but that'll be challenging because it's about childhood abuse. Right. So, but important as well. Mm. So, but yeah, so I'm doing all that sort of okay. thing. Now, three quick questions to finish. If right. That's okay. So the first one is, do you have like a, a routine that you always follow when you do your work? Um, <clears throat> I've got. I gotta get up. It's funny with. People don't around here. Don't people don't think it's work? You know, they think I'm just like draw, d- doodle. It's easy. Yeah. And you go in the pub. It's full of builders. And there's a guy called Mick, Big Mick, and he came up to me one day. He said, "What fucking time? Can I swear on this?" Can I? Yeah. You can. I said, what "You fuck? already have, so don't." Have I? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit late. Twas that was finished. He said, what, "What fucking time were you up? Do you get up in the morning?" So I said, oh, "I don't know, Mick." So he said, "I was up at fucking six thirty, ripping a boiler out. Look at these hands." So I said, oh, mate, I said, I remember. I said, I, 
I got up early today and fucking I got up at 11 o'clock, had a bath, ran a bath, opened a bottle of champagne, then the phone goes and somebody's asked me to do a cartoon. I thought, oh my God. What? And he goes, have you heard this? Have you? And then the other one was, I've got what my routine is. Um, I don't always have a lot anything to do, so I've got, I have a thinking couch in my studio, mm. um, or I had, and I'd lie on my thinking couch and create ideas. So mm. I'd have a blank piece of paper, square it off, and fill it with ideas and then try and sell them so i got this builder around he's outside it's pouring down he's working on a new window upstairs mm. and um i'm lying on the thinking couch drawing with the music on and the heater there and there's a knock on the studio door and he goes i said come in dave and he comes in he said oh sorry don't know you're asleep i said no i'm working dave he went fuck <laughs> off <laughs> Stormed off, so I said, "Dave, this is work." He said, "Fucking work." So, um, so basically, I'll get up and, yeah. you know, go. In, I've got a studio, and I'll. Um, I'm working in the house at the moment because it's colder down there, just next door. Um, in the, it was converted garage, so, so during winter I work upstairs, you know, and uh, it's quite, you know, just. But then I've got the thinking bed, so I just go and lie in my bed. So it's even worse, I suppose. And so, does the phone kind of ring with with commissions, or do you? It's more emails now, isn't email, it? Yeah, yeah, sure. I've had one today from um, about a dementia project up in up in Manchester, and um, so yeah. But you know, occasionally this this will this will go off. <laughs> Your phone will ping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's mainly emails now, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's changed for everybody. I think. A lot of people are email people. And you always just work in the studio here in your house? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I come work in the garden, which does, again doesn't, if it's summer, you know. Yeah. Not today out. when it's covered in snow. No, 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 no. But you can sit outside in the summer with them. Yeah, um, that's nice. And then people come around and say, oh, so are you relaxing? No, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Second quick question for you then. When you look back over everything that you've done, um, what's the thing that you're sort of most proud of? Just the ideas, really. It's not. I, I love private eye. I've loved to take care of some. Mm. Um, just the way I can, whatever's going on in my life, I can, can carry on and creating new stuff all the time and still that fire in me that wants to. I don't, it doesn't, even now, I'm, mm. you know, I met this guy at Little Granddaughter's Daisy's, she's four. Mm. Um, I went to her nativity play and the mm. sat to this guy and we got talking. He makes chocolate. <laughs> so he said, oh, we should get together. So I just said to him, I emailed him, I said, just an idea, chocolate yobs. <laughs> and he said, oh, that sounds great. So this, so it's just daft and diverse. Yeah, and the I fact love, that you can, the ideas keep coming. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that the ideas and new, fresh ideas and, and I can work with lots of different people and yeah. I just love that, yeah. Final question for you. This could be anything like, it could be a book or music or you know a tv something on tv that you, what are you enjoying right now you know that's that's kind of uh, uh, creative or something that you're enjoying to and experiencing on a sort of creative in a creative uh, way yeah there's I recently was um killing eve yeah that's great. I, I really that. got that, I love that it I was just, brilliant uh, wasn't it yeah it's funny brilliantly acted brilliantly she's brilliant they're both brilliant you know yeah. um so that really got a trip on that one, and, and then what, just music in general. I was going to say music. You have, have to ask about music. What are you, what are you listening to? Right. What well, have you been listening to this morning? I was listening to a band called the Radar Brothers. Right. Um, they're an American band, and I got to know them. Um, 
and I actually taught Mark Riley and Travis them on his show. Right. Um, so they were great. And then I was playing Low this morning, the, the American band Low, because yeah. I can play those two bands no matter what mood I'm in. Right. Um, and they just do. So, yeah, that. So there's a few other things on at the moment that I'm watching. Oh, Les Limers. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah, that's great. I've been watching that. It's, yeah. pre- it's pretty hard. I mean, it's obviously, hard, yeah. the title is a clue, isn't it? About yeah, this, yeah. It's going to be pretty grim. Yeah. But... I think especially the the second episode where they're oh, with the taking girl. the teeth out. That's that's that was, Phil Collins' daughter, isn't it? It is. I, I've looked that up last night because yeah. we watched episode four last night, me and my wife. Yeah. And I, I, as I always do now, Google all the people that are in it, and and yeah, Phil Collins' daughter. Yeah, yeah. she's beautiful, but they do she a is. horrible. That guy just taking the teeth. Oh, that was so upsetting. Yeah. That scene, they did it very well. Yeah. It really was. Miserable in that <laughs> moment, wasn't it? Um, but True Detective at the moment is pretty good. Um, which, sees, which series are you watching? It's the, the one. Is that the third one now? It's the third it? one. It's yeah. on now. Right. Um, yeah, I saw the first season of that. The first one was great. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen the second one. Is no. the second one. The second one wasn't great. I didn't like Right. No, the second one was. And Fargo was another one that was great. Right, yeah. The, the Billy Bob Thornton one was brilliant. I think he's, he was great in that. That's, that's yeah. one of my favourite. I haven't watched that yet, but I will, uh, yeah. I will check that Billy out. Billy Bob Thornton one is definitely worth watching. Right. He's, um, he's kind of this sinister sort of unreal murderer. <laughs> um, he ends up with the guy from The Office and Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes. Mm. So it's... Uh, but, yeah. But, yeah, music. Music all the time. But yeah. It depends on the mood. But I've got Alec, Alexa now. Yeah. So I can ask Alexa for anything. <laughs> and find myself having rounds with her, she'll say, Sorry, I do not know that one. I said, you fucking do, you played it yesterday. <laughs> and have you seen that thing on um YouTube eleven? No. The guy Scottish guy's in the lift. Oh yeah, oh yeah, when he's trying to tell it. Yeah. To go to, like, yeah. Voice act. Yeah, I've seen eleven. That, yeah. <laughs> eleven. Do you feel a bit like that sometimes. Yeah, Alexa? it's like with her and I'm like, listen. Well, I say, Who are you talking to? It's Alexa. She, there's one, once in Bruckner, play somewhere in Bruckner, and we do not have anything by Brook Shields. No, not Brook Shields, <laughs> Bruckner. Fucking hell. <laughs> and then she said, um, I do not like that. So I said, for fuck's sake, Alexa, I do not like that language. <laughs> and, um, Does Alexa tell you that? Yeah, she said, um, and then I said, tells you off. Yeah, but I said, I love you, Alexa. And she said, a lot of people say that. <laughs> so it's quite funny, yeah. So you get these things talking at you now, you sat now and you, you know, you, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, but that's, but yeah. It's a whole different world, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Tony, thank you very much for talking okay, to me. Okay, thank you. That's much been appreciated. Thanks, Guy. Cheers. Hi, it's Guy again. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of Creative Forces. I hope you enjoyed it. Just a quick word at the end of this episode, because you now... If you like what you hear with the podcast, you now have the opportunity, if you wish, to help to fund it. Now, at the moment, Creative Forces is a fortnightly affair. uh, But what I'd love to do in the future is to do it more frequently. I'd love to be able to travel and pay for the travel expenses to go and um, meet guests face to face because it just makes for a better interview. I think you really find out more about the person if you're you're face to face. Um, So, yeah, looking for funding it's very much an optional thing. If you like what you hear and you want to help, great. If you don't, 
don't worry about it at all. Please continue enjoying the podcast. If you do want to find out more, though, we I now have a, a Patreon page for the uh, podcast, and you can find it at Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash creative forces pod. That's patreon.com forward slash creative forces pod. If you do decide you're in a position to help fund the podcast, there are various rewards on offer, uh, including exclusive uh, bonus content, which only um, people who help to fund the podcast will get. Any help you can give would be most welcome. But as I say, don't worry about it if you can't. Please help. Uh, please go on enjoying the podcast, uh, liking and subscribing if you can. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. See you soon.